Hello, hello, this is Alex Burkett, and you are listening to The Long Game Podcast. In this episode, I'm chatting with Bobby Pinero. Bobby is the CEO and co-founder of Equals, a company reinventing and reimagining the spreadsheet. In this conversation, we talk about how Bobby got initial traction through founder-led content, writing lessons learned in the trenches and spreading this knowledge through blogs, LinkedIn, Twitter, etc. We also talk about his lessons learned in hiring a head of sales, a game-changer for them. Finally, we cover psychological points like having faith in your intuition as opposed to getting paralyzed by advice-seeking and validation, as well as fear and nervousness being a solid signal that you're getting close to something that actually matters. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Bobby Pinero. So... When we first talked, uh, something that was interesting to me is you had basically a contrarian view that is essentially baked into the product that you're building, right? So we talked about now how no matter what new you know technology and what experimentation goes on with new tools you use, people tend to find themselves back into the spreadsheet. And that's because I think this was your words, that the spreadsheet is still the advanced piece of technology. People relegate it to this like archaic, you know, old school tech technology, but it's actually the advanced piece of technology. So the question there is, why do you think analysts seem to devalue the spreadsheet when it comes to analysis? Is this analytical hipsterdom? Are there real shortcomings or where does this belief stem from? Yeah, I mean, I think that the, uh, so yeah, my belief is the spreadsheet's the best way to do analysis, plain and simply. Um, Every meaningful business decision that I've ever made has happened out of a spreadsheet. And I've seen it over and over and over again in my career where, um, you know, we we need to get some answer about what to do in a business, guess what? We're going back to a spreadsheet. Um, and, you know, I think the, look, I mean, I think there's a, a bit of, um, there are real problems, you know, equals exist because there are problems today with Excel and with Google Sheets, right? Those are the two spreadsheets. Um, and I think a lot of folks just jump to the conclusion that, okay, there are problems with spreadsheets, but we've got to, solve that one particular problem uh, in a very, you know, specific way, pull that problem out of the thing, solve it in a different place. Um, We've, in a lot of ways, been, um, you know, if you think about like the evolution, just think about like the last like 15 years, it's really hard to build a spreadsheet. Like it is, you know, you, you, you can't do it with a small team. So you can't innovate on the spreadsheet as a paradigm, as a way of working. Um, and so, you know, a lot of folks have kind of followed the typical YC advice, which is like, start with an MVP, build something really small, build something that solves a very pointed specific problem, you know, launch something in a few weeks, in a few months, get it into people's hands, iterate from there. Um, and so you get things like, you know, a BI tool. It's like, okay, great. You can write a SQL query on top of a database and then build a chart on top of it. Um, it solves like one particular part of a problem, but it doesn't address, you know, a holistic problem like, hey, a, an analyst needs to do a big, broad piece of analysis. Um, and so, um, you know, we're, we just, it almost hasn't been possible to do what we at Equals want to do for for quite some time, which is to rebuild the spreadsheet and solve all the problems that happen that that, that are inherent to the spreadsheet, right? That you know, it's manual. It's 
error prone to get your data in. There's no data providence. It's really hard to collaborate. It's hard to collaborate in the modern places where we collaborate as teams. Um, and so uh, a lot of people have just been kind of picking at the problem um, and make the spreadsheet the enemy as part of that. Um, but uh, really the, 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 the genius of the spreadsheet remains. Uh, it's still the best place to do analysis. It's still the most powerful way to do analysis. It's still this like beautiful canvas on which you can build almost anything. Um, and there's not not yet been another piece of software that's come close to being able to do that for analysis. It feels like a lot of people move away from the spreadsheet for data sciencey related things. Like when I was, uh, I think it was back at CXL. Like I was, you know, I learned spreadsheets. I knew how to use Excel, and I would use stuff like Google Analytics. But then I, I kind of went down this rabbit hole of wanting to do more statistics and analysis work on you know experiments I was running. So that's where I got into this rabbit hole of using R. And eventually, I think Python is is probably more appropriate for like machine learning stuff, which I very lightly dipped my toes into. But it feels like a lot of people that I know from the digital analytics space look at R and Python as sort of upgrades. Like once you once you kind of like are promoted from like analyst to data scientist or something like that, has has that been your experience? Do you is there any veracity to that? For sure. Yeah. And and look, like there there are some benefits to using R and Python over, you know, using using a spreadsheet. Um, you know, um, you can work with larger data sets, you can do maybe some more rigorous uh, statistical analyses, you can do um, you know, you've got the benefit of working in code, which you can, you know, version and um uh um just keep better control over. But um it's still the case that that, that only serves a you know, a uh, minority, a very, very, very small fraction of the population of people who need to do analysis. And so, um, you know, while it's true, so in, in some cases it has, it has its merits, um, you know, we were trying to set out to build a tool that can be used by the masses, that, that can be used by everybody who knows how to use uh, a spreadsheet. And I'd also put it to you that oftentimes, uh, po poke into any early stage company or mid-stage company or you know, company that's just IPO'd. And a lot of these R models and Python models ultimately get thrown out uh, for something that just gets built in Excel uh, or yep. prototype in Excel. Um, because it's just, they're more easily understood. They're simpler. Um, more people can use them, access them. Uh, and so I think oftentimes uh, you get uh, eager folks that want to go build and use these tools, but they're overblown for the problem that needs to get solved at these companies. Yeah, it's, it's it was largely a nerd thing for me. And it wasn't I mean, I'm sure it was useful in some ways, like working with APIs was easier, which it seems like that's a problem you're solving for with equals as well, like porting in different data sources. But at the end of the day, I feel like the spreadsheet is the lingua franca, right? That accessibility is what makes it so powerful. Like anybody from a content marketer, to a finance person to a data analyst and data scientist knows how to use a spreadsheet. And I yeah. feel like that's its strength. But that's probably also, I mean, is that hard when you're when you're building the next year's spreadsheet like like who who do you build for right like there's you know financial analysts there's there's digital data analysts like there's so many different audiences and use cases that you could potentially build for yeah i mean it just reminds me you know the meme of like okay uh, an analyst that starts in excel then they go into like uh r and python and oh, then the midwit like, one yeah 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 100 yeah, yeah, eventually yeah, yeah. come back to excel it's like of course uh that that's how it works um you know, I, I think the I actually think the challenge for us isn't um, 
isn't so much who do we build for because there's so many people that use that still use spreadsheets and aren't gonna even you know they'll they're no way shape or form close to touching r and python if we're lucky we'll get them to touch sql um the i think the the bigger thing for us is how do we build you know how do you build a spreadsheet that can compete and uh that can that somebody who is like one of these like you will never take Excel out of my, you know, out of my cold, dead hands. You will never yeah, yeah. finance people. Yeah. yeah. You will never, <laughs> ever, ever take it away from me. Uh, how do you build something that they, they can get excited about? And so the way that we've approached that has been, um, you know, we know it's going to take time for us to build something that a, fi- a hardcore finance person, a spreadsheet that they're going to love, a spreadsheet that they, that has all the little tiny details that Excel has, all the little things, all the, small interactions, the performance, the stability, the um, just all the little details that work exactly like Excel. Uh, it takes time, it's a big build. And so for us, the way that we've kind of approached the market has been to, there's a whole, there's a huge user base of spreadsheets uh, for analysis that aren't the hardcore people. They're not the like crazy, I'm a, you know, uh, I live in Excel all day, every day. Um, I know how to do the wildest functions. I know, you know, the nth uh, feature uh, in Excel. And so what we're doing is we're building a spreadsheet that's, you know, great for, um, you know, more the kind of early adopter folks, folks who are founder types, uh, early operators at startups um, and solving pain points for them. And then as we kind of build the user base, we can then go and build the really small long tail edge of features that can, you know, give us, they can, you know, serve a hardcore uh, spreadsheet user. And to convince these people, like uh, you mentioned before, that you're turning a kind of product-led growth model out, and you're you're you've got a free tier open. So I'm guessing some of it is going to be just exposure, getting them to that aha moment where it clicks, and they say, "Oh shit, I can do this here, and I couldn't do that as easily in Excel." But the other piece is, uh, I know you've done a lot of writing on on the blog, on LinkedIn, kind of founder-led content. So there's sort of this evangelizing component as well. Is that sort of the playbook or how are you hoping to, to convince all these people, you know, to move over to a new tool? Yeah. Um, I think, I I mean, I think it's, it's really those two things. So uh, first and foremost, uh, you know, we need to build a product that is better on some dimension um, for, you know, our users. And so the, the folks that we're targeting right now, again, are those kind of early stage founders, early stage operators. Um, And so What's what makes equals 10x better than you know um, Google Sheets, Excel, but then also at any other data tool out there? Um, you know the today in equals, you can work in a spreadsheet, but you can connect it to anywhere where your your data is. So you can connect to Google Analytics, HubSpot, Salesforce, QuickBooks, Stripe, your Postgres database, and within the same workbook, you can work with all that data together. You can join it all up. You can um, you know, uh, all of a sudden automate a piece of analysis that maybe you're building an MR build. An MR build for most startups requires them to pull something from Google Analytics, from Stripe, from Salesforce. Uh, and there's no other data tool on the planet that lets you pull in and work with data and put it all in the same place from multiple different data, data sources and automate it together. A startup doing that otherwise would have to go and hire a five tran and an analytics engineer and build data pipelines and put it all together and put it into a database that then 
somebody would query and that's how they'd maybe start to automate something like that. Um, and so uh, we built this tool that for them is fundamentally better, lets them do work in a way that, um, you know, they can move, move faster and um, uh, understand their business better. And at the same time, um, the strategy has been really just to build an audience of people like us. Like, you know, one of the beautiful things about Equals is um, I'm building it in a lot of ways for myself, for, you know, uh, and Ben, my co-founder as well. Like we've been in the seats of the people who we're trying to serve. And so um, when we talk about founder-led content, really what we're trying to do there is just communicate to people like us and say, Hey, we've been, we've been there. We know what you're going through. Maybe we have some lessons that we've learned along the way that, um, you know, we can share with you. Most of the blog posts that I've written, most of the, you know, any content that we create, we try to, we treat it as like letters to ourselves as like former operators that we, things that we'd wish we'd known when we were going through it. And it, it's really just about helping people and trying to, um, you know, provide value to them. And um, I guess in both ways, equals as that and our content uh, strategy is kind of revolving on that too. I wish more content was like that just personally. Um, what, um, have you noticed any patterns as to what sort of themes and topics have resonated? Yeah. Um, I think a lot of, a lot of pieces around, um, you know, prior, prior to starting uh, equals, I spent eight years in intercom uh, in the role that, Oftentimes we're selling into it with equals, which is cool. Hmm. Um, I ran finance, analytics, biz ops, data engineering, a few other teams there uh, over the course of again eight years. Um, and so a lot of the, the the topics are just like, hey, this is what we did. These are like real cold, hard examples of things that we did at Intercom that worked and things that we did that didn't work. So for example, um, you know, one of the posts that was probably the, one of our most popular posts was. Uh, one around this uh, um, report that we created in, at Intercom called the Daily Pulse. And the whole idea with the Daily Pulse was really, really simple. It was a, it was a pulse of metrics that would go out via email, automated every single day to the entire company in their inbox, pushed to them. And it was, again, nothing complicated. It was just, hey, here was our traffic. Here was how many people signed up. Here's how many people installed Intercom. Here's how many people started a trial, paid, churned. And you'd see it trended daily, weekly, monthly. And you know, you're like, there's no, there's no magic behind that, except that getting that every day meant that the feedback cycles from the things that we did were just insanely short. And so somebody shipped something and maybe it was a bug, maybe it was an amazing, you know, new feature. And they got to see that afternoon or the following afternoon what impact that had uh, on the business. And if something was wrong in the business, the next day we're digging into it and why. And there's a you know an email from ONR CEO saying what's going on, and we're on it immediately. And so just the the the, the pace of iteration and the pace of uh, at which we moved, um, you know, just fundamentally shifted the culture. Just that one little email. Um, so examples like that uh, are, are really the posts that kind of work well because people can take that and run with it, and you know. Um, Hopefully, it has an impact on the way they manage their own business. Was that a company-wide email? Who did you send that to? It started off as a company-wide email. I mean, we started that email probably when we were 30 people at Intercom. 
Um, I think we probably discontinued it at least company wide when we got to, you know, 80 or a hundred folks. Um, mm. it was, you know, um, at times it's just context that you need to be able to understand what's going on. Oh, you know, um, uh, yeah, I don't remember exactly why we, we, we stopped it, but, um, no, I mean, that email probably went out until we were 200, 250 people to at least a core set of, uh, you know, decision makers and uh, key leaders across product and go to market. Nice. Cause what I, what I like about that is it's, it's cultural as much as, as it is actionable. It's one of those things that shows that numeracy is rewarded and salient in the company. So, and, and it's like a little thing that everybody can do. Like when, when I was at Workato doing experimentation, like nobody, I don't want to say nobody, but experimentation was not well understood. But there's all these different teams that can effectively leverage experiments to like improve their own work, you know, from product marketers to product managers to paid acquisition people. So I started small, did it for my own team. More and more people would get added on as we would run experiments on their kind of like sectors of the business and they got excited about it. And then all of a sudden it was like those teams were reaching out to me and they're like, hey, could we run an experiment like this? I'm like, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was one of those things that helped build sort of an experiment, experimentation culture. And it sounds like this, you know, Daily Pulse is, is a way to build a data-driven culture as well. Exactly. Yeah. And then you just get people excited too. You get, you get ideas from more places. You get ideas from, you know, the PM who was focused on one part of the product, who wasn't thinking about growth, who all of a sudden comes across some insight and they're like, oh, wow, okay, I think this could actually move the needle for the number of people signing up. Or, oh, I didn't realize there was a spike in churn last week. Hmm. Maybe it's because of that issue that, you know, somebody was reporting, you know, and we should fix that, prioritize that sooner. So um, it just seeps its way through the organization in really powerful ways. So with your content, it sounds like you're writing, you know, on the blog, LinkedIn, different channels. And I think I might have read this. I'm not sure if I read this, but in an interview, you might have said something about LinkedIn being one of the most effective ways to reach these people. Is that true? Or yeah. what have you seen in terms of like distribution of, of the content you're writing? Uh, I mean, we're really, uh, we're still in the early days and we're still kind of figuring this out, but really all we do with our content is publish it on LinkedIn and Twitter. And that's been the, other than doing product launches, which product launches also, all we do is publish them on Twitter and LinkedIn. And we've done a few product launches as well. Um, that's been our whole distribution. And mm. so, um, you know, for me, uh, LinkedIn has been powerful. Twitter has been powerful. Uh, still figuring out Twitter a little bit more. Uh, <laughs> it's a weird place. It's a weird place. It's gotten a little bit weirder too. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, my whole philosophy around this is um, it, it's just uh, find things that can be helpful to other people and, you know, um, uh, find ways that you can, from your own experience, and, and, and this works particularly well, like we have the really beautiful benefit of being able to uh, talk about and use our own experience to help sell and market equals. Um, and our target audience is ourselves. Um, but it's how do we create content that I wish I had read eight years ago when I was in the job I was in at Intercom. That's it. It's like as simple as that. Mm -hmm. Again, I wish more people did this, but I think one thing, so like with founder led content, you guys have like boots in the ground, stories to tell, lessons learned. Like this is real stuff. It's not rehashed research stuff, right? But I think like what I want to know is like the how, like how do you, you know, like do you have a background in writing? Like how do you, you have contrarian takes, you have interesting insights, experiences. 
how do you sit down, find time and figure out how to put these things out in a readable way? Like, did you, did you have to practice? Like, was it hard at first? Like, Oh, so hard. I'll tell you, it was so scary, frankly, the first like pressing, pressing publish on the first by five, six, seven, still to this day, it's scary. Um, but um, the first few times was, you know, it was like, oh my God, people are going to read this. They're going to think I'm an idiot. They're going to, you know, um, but um, in a lot of ways, like that's the way, you know, you're doing it right. If you're scared and you're, if you're nervous, um, like, you know, you're, you're saying something that's real and you're saying something that's, you know, hopefully some people will disagree with, like, that's actually a great thing. Um and yeah, it just takes time carving out time and practice. And we've gotten, you know, frankly, I've gotten, this is actually one of my big goals for 2023 is to get back on the horse uh, here a little bit because we've fallen off. Um, it takes time. Um, but I spent a lot of time in the early uh, equals days, just coming up with ideas for blog posts, just carving out time, ideating, what can I write about? What were experiences I had? Uh, what do I wish I had known? And then oftentimes you sit down and write a blog post and you think you have one idea of writing it, you write it. It doesn't turn out to be what you expect it to be. The part, the, the process of actually writing is the clarifying process. Like you think you have an idea and then it's like you're three paragraphs in and you're like, well, actually, no, that's not really the point. There's actually, you know, oh, okay. It's kind of, as it comes out of you, it's you're, you're clarifying it. Like that's, that's the process of writing. Um, I didn't have a background. I mean, my background is mo- is just mostly I've done analysis for the last 10 years, but you just practice it, uh, practice it, share your first handful of posts with somebody that you trust that's, you know, c- can give you feedback on it. Um, but then just keep doing it consistently and it gets easier and easier. Um, and it's m- more of a hits business than it is a, you know, every piece is going to be awesome. Um, you, frankly, like that, that post about the daily pulse, had no idea it was going to blow up in the way it did, but it did. And I thought other pieces that I wrote were much better than that and they didn't go anywhere. Um, and so, you know, you just have to keep going out there and trying it and tr- writing different things and some will work and some won't. I've been publishing online for for years and I still can't predict which is going to be successful and which isn't. I mean, right. in search content, you can, you know, look at search volume and difficulty and stuff like that. But with LinkedIn and Twitter, sometimes the most basic thing that I think is just like, this is trite this is nothing you know that'll go viral and then something i pour sweat blood and tears into it's like it does nothing so i feel like shots on goal is is underrated in content production for sure for sure 100 that other thing you said around fear is interesting I, I don't know where i heard it but it was something around like you know you feel fear as you move closer to truth so i feel like that's one of those things that i've reframed for myself not necessarily truth but like when i feel that apprehension or fear with writing, with publishing, like with business activities, it's like, that probably means there's something meaningful here and like potentially lean in through it. You know, like there's something there. A hundred percent. I had a quote. So uh, I haven't figured out my 2023 quotes yet, but one of the quotes that I used in my goals for 2022, I had a a quote um, from uh, Childish Gambino. It's it's really simple. If you're nervous, you're doing it right. That's it. And so it's that it's um, for me, uh starting equals was that publishing content was that writing on linkedin is that writing on twitter is that you know for me it's i'm nervous doing it nervous putting a part of myself out there um and the more opinionated it is almost the more nervous you are um 
but I find too, that that's, that's an indication that, you know, I'm on the right track. Like for me, if I'm nervous about it, I'm like, okay, I'm pushing the boundaries of, you know, what I thought I was capable of. I'm pushing the bound, like I'm pushing myself to do something that I otherwise maybe wouldn't do. Um, and so as long as you come back to like, okay, it's a good thing. Uh, you know, that you can turn, you can turn that into a really powerful, uh, kind of reminder. Totally. So with, with, uh, any sort of initiative, I feel like in the, the early days, there's sort of like this fishing around and trying to find a hook or something that works, something that clicks. And then the next step is like, once you've, you've gone from zero to one, you kind of come up with a playbook to scale that. So it seems like content is clicked, uh, in, in your go-to-market freemium. We could, we could talk more about the freemium play that's clicked. So like, what are you, how are you thinking about scaling this stuff if you are, or are you still trying to go like pretty hands-on with the strategy? Um, kind of like, how do you, how do you, you know, bring this to the next level and, and bring it to the masses, uh, so to speak? Yeah, really still figuring that out, uh, in a lot of ways. And actually this is a very top of mind thing for me, as I think about content in, uh, 2023, um, you know, I think that, uh, ultimately what I want to create, um, you know, what we want to create with equals, there's, there's equals the brand there's equals the product, but then equals also, um, what we're trying to create here is like a movement and, a and a, and a place where people who, you know, whether you, you want to call them like modern analysts, or you want to call them folks who are like us, who are just excited about new tools and new ways of working and geek out about spreadsheets, um, where we can come together and we can help each other. And, um, you know, I think content is uh, one of the ways in which we do that. A lot of the, a lot of companies that we admire, companies like Figma and Notion and Airtable and, um, you know, Canva and uh, folks have built communities and, you know, um, uh, uh, groups of individuals who are so excited about their product that they come together and share ideas and collaborate, share templates, things like that. Um, but it starts with creating something, obviously creating a product, but then also creating this place where people are getting value from the things that you're, you know, bringing them together in some way, shape or form. And so what I'm thinking a lot about is like, how do we turn content uh, into this thing that can be a place where people come to equals or, um, you know, uh, uh, value where people can come to us and say, okay, I'm, you know, I'm a founder or I'm an early operator at a startup and I don't know what metrics to track. I don't know what, you know, how do I build my first cohort build? How do I build my first MRR build? Oh yeah. What are the things that I should be thinking about going from a million in ARR to 10 million in ARR? Um, how do we build a place where people can go and talk about that and get be supported in that way? I think if we do that, um, content's one of the ways we do that, but if we can do that, massive, massive, massive opportunity. Yeah. Building a community around, it seems like the obvious play. Cause like the, the, you guys have, I mean, the audience is, you know, it could be anybody, but it is largely like more analytical people. And in my experience, like when content marketers try to create communities, you end up with like kind of cynical, just like promotion and like dropping my own stuff. But with analyst communities, uh, there's varying degrees of sophistication and maturity and skill, uh, skill levels and all that stuff. But it's like everybody's helping each other out and earnestly asking questions. And it's just this thriving, like helpful place. Like uh, the measure slack is is one place that I go quite a bit. And it's just thriving, you know, so I feel like that 
for your your audience is a unique play right right yeah so that's like content is uh it starts from that and so um content is one of the ways in which we do that and so you know the wrong way to approach content i think would be okay we just need to write one blog post a week or you know we need to write one blog post a week we need to make one podcast a week we need to be on TikTok every day like okay great who cares um it might work but it starts again like kind of like we started with the 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 blog it's hey how do we tell stories that we would we ourselves would want to read and find you know find ways to get that into the people the hands of the people who would benefit from that and you know now it's at a higher scale it's okay how do we you know start to build a community and a following of people who are going through the same things and help them um and we'll do that through content we'll do that through written content video content audio content um you know uh distributing other people's content um community etc um one other thing that you mentioned on this i think it was traction substack you did an interview for so this is outside of content you mentioned that hiring a salesperson was probably the best decision we've made yeah. Uh, can you explain more about that? Because at our agency, that's probably the hire that we're going to put off the longest as we do <laughs> founder-led sales. Um, I don't know. Like, I feel like there's this belief that founders for a long time are still in the best position to to you know be the spokesperson. So it's made me nervous thinking about like hiring somebody in that role. And I also don't know how to hire it and how to train that person. So like, yeah, yeah. What were your thoughts there? Um. So. Uh, and to understand it a little bit, you know, equals when we first launched, we were gated, we were uh, more of a sales led kind of motion. So we required somebody to jump on a call with us to do a demo to uh, talk pricing and, you know, get access to the product that way. And so for many months, I was doing that, me and my co founder were doing that founder led sales. And um, it worked, you know, we got some folks using the product that way. Um, but I really believe the founder-led sales thing is total, it's BS. Um, mm. Like, uh, sales is a skill. There's an art to it. There, I've, I've never done sales before. You know, I know how to, I know how to go to a VC meeting and, you know, sell equals. I know how to uh, sell a candidate on a roll because I've done that many times before. But selling, uh, you know, a prospect on a product, there's just, you know, go work with a salesperson. You'll work with a great salesperson, and you'll learn. You'll see like all the little tricks that they have. That, and and this, tricks is not the, maybe the wrong word, but it's because uh, it's not like you're tricking somebody into buying the product. It's more just like all the little cues that somebody gives you in a conversation, the objections that they have, the okay. Um, you know, uh, hey, I can't, I mean, I can't think of it. <laughs> no, I know what you mean, though, because it's like, I just want to get on and be like, hey, like, here's our price. Here's what we do. Do you want to do it? <laughs> you know? yeah. And it's like, I feel like, like, when I think about the sales process that we run internally, like, you know, there's, there's blog posts that I can read and books that I can read and all that stuff, but they all have their own kind of formats, right? Like it's, it's very unique to the individual in the company, but it's like, when do I send the pitch deck? Like, how do I send the pitch deck? Do I like, close on that call? Like, do I set up a meeting next time? And it's like all of those questions, like I, I could see going either way. And it's like, I don't have the intuition 
Whereas yeah. a salesperson probably has a pretty good idea of like what the answers are to those questions, even, even like how to ask the questions on the call. Well, it's it's the same as like, you know, if you're an analyst, right? Like if you've done analysis for a decade, you have an intuition about, you know, okay, how to pull the data, how to organize the data, how to, okay, something looks interesting here. Let me dig down there. And okay, these are the ways I can ask the question. And then here's how I present the data. Like all that takes practice and skill. You, you don't learn that just you don't know how to do that right out of the out of the box. The same thing with, with with sales. Yeah, how do you bring up pricing? How do you talk about price? How do you um, close somebody? I also have you know, I think a lot of founders, particularly who are producty or who are again don't come from a sales background, almost like you know, my attitude is like pro- the product should sell itself. Like people should totally. see it. They should be like, oh my god, that's amazing! I want that. And, um, you just, you kind of, you don't like being sold to like, you don't, so you don't do the things that a salesperson would do. Cause you're like, Oh, well, I don't want, I'm not going to follow up with them like two times a week. Cause that's annoying. Yep, yep. And actually a salesperson like knows that that's critical to do. And so, um, you're almost just fighting with one arm tied behind your back. If you're a founder who doesn't have deep experience in sales, trying to sell your product. Um, now what I will say is, you know, you can spin your wheels a lot by hiring a salesperson if you don't, if you're a startup that doesn't have product market fit, for example, if you don't know Mm -hmm. what you're solving for is a real pain point. And so um, you're either overselling uh, the product or um, you think that a salesperson is just going to overcome the lack of product market fit. Um, But, you know, for me, it was... I knew from the conversations, at least I had an intuition from the conversations that I was leading and having in that founder-led sales position that people's eyes lit up when they saw equals and they wanted to try it and they wanted to get their hands on it. And I was like, okay, if we hire a salesperson, I think they're going to be successful. And I'll tell you that the minute we hired a salesperson, they started and it was like, we had, I had this backlog of deals that I was working and it was like, just close them. And it was like, you know, I was like, great. <laughs> I'm clearly not a closer. Um, but um, wait, so did the salesperson you hired, did they run the whole process or was it just a piece of it, like setting up meetings or just the close or like, did well, you... they came into existing processes that I had and then they mm-hmm. just, they closed them and then they started, then they ran the processes from the beginning with new folks. They figured uh, out how to do prospecting, how to do kind of like all of the groundwork as well. Yeah. And for a while, you know, I was joining um, a lot of those conversations as that person kind of got up to speed on how the product work, how to handle certain objections, how to answer certain questions, um, different things about different features. So, you know, it was it was a gradual thing, um, but they were had immediate impact because it was like, great. Yeah, maybe I did the product demo, but after the call, you know, uh, he and I would debrief and it's like, okay, well, how do we follow up with this person? What's the strategy here? Okay. How do we, okay. These were the objections they had. How do we send them a note that, you know, handles that? Okay. Can we get in? Maybe they're not the right person to buy this, but they mentioned this other person. Let's ask for an introduction to that person. Okay. That person we get, a, we get on a call with. So there's just mm-hmm. things that I would have never thought of, um, that were immediately valuable. So on the point of like maybe hiring a salesperson too early, but like pre-product market fit, what things do you think you needed to have in place in order to get the best use out of a salesperson? Product market fit, 
messaging, positioning, some idea of the objections people are going to have? Like, what what do you think those pieces are you, that you need in place first? I think it's just that I, I don't think necessarily you like we didn't have any like nothing around like even our positioning today we still we still don't even have a marketer at equals we're working on we actually have someone starting in in january i'm super excited um but you know our positioning like you know ben and i uh, uh created it and it's still uh maybe so- salesperson can help test that stuff too right for sure yeah they give us feedback and tell us what, what works and what doesn't uh, the thing the litmus test for me was do people want like do i feel like people want this product and it's uh, solving a real pain pain for them. And it's just the very, very, very beginnings of product market fit. Like, you know, who, without it being obvious, like, how do you really understand if you have product market fit? Like, it's really, do you jump on conversations? And listen, something to remind founders of is, and this is something I struggled with, is like, you're going to jump on a lot of conversations and it's going to be a lot of indifference and a lot of no's. And you know, one of the things that I've learned is to have a ton of respect for salespeople because that is their life and it is hard. Like intercom, okay. One of the things I had to remind myself of was like at intercom, even when we're a hundred million dollar business, right? Like our conversion rate from like lead to paid customer was like 5%, which means 19 people say no, one person says yes. And so you know, you as a founder, for me, I'd jump on all these early calls and I had 20 calls. It was like, people were like, oh, this is cool. But yeah, you know, let me, uh, I'll get back to you in a couple of months. Or some people, no, I'm not, uh, nah, not interesting. And you're like, I don't have product market fit like this, but you have to just remind yourself. It's like, it's a numbers game. It's a volume game. Um, and so, uh, if you have those seedlings, those like sprouts of like some people, their eyes light up. They're like, give me this thing. I'll pay you real money for it. It solves something magical for me. I want to use it and I want to use it consistently. A salesperson can do some real damage. How did you know how to hire a salesperson? I didn't. Uh, <laughs> um, I went the it's how I start every process for hiring a role that I've never hired for before, which is I go and talk to everybody I know who I think is great in that role. So for me, it started with I pinged four or five salespeople at Intercom that I knew were fantastic, had great reputations, great experience. Um, And I just talked to them and I said, hey, look, this is I'm looking for a first salesperson. How would you think about hiring them? Tell me what makes a great, what differentiates a great, great salesperson from an okay salesperson. Um, what interview questions would you ask them? Do you know of three other people that you think are amazing? Can you? I'm not trying to hire them. Can you please just introduce me to them so I can talk to them, calibrate? And then you get a, you know, from there, I probably talk to 20, 30 salespeople. Again, with no intention of hiring any single one of them, but more just... Let me see what's out there. Let me see the types of people that are out there. Let me calibrate on, okay, this person who I think is great vouches for this person who they think is great. So, okay, you know, I start to get a feel for who's good. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and then from there, you, you know, you kind of work the network, right? Like you, you start to get, you ask every person for two or three intros to other salespeople that they think are great. 
And eventually the th person pops up, right? It's like, oh, I know somebody who's just looking and they're fantastic. And, you know, now you've met 20 salespeople and you kind of know what to ask and, um, you know, what to look for. I like that. So on on the first level, it's like trying to get an example of what great looks like in the first place. So you know when you see it. And then getting enough data to sort of reverse engineer and pattern recognition, uh, which still could be a hypothesis, right? You're you're trying to reverse engineer what makes them great and trying to index on those kind of traits. Yeah. And you and you also learn like, you know. Um, what worked for different companies at different stages and okay, you know, like in sales, like you learn that there's, uh, there's like obvious levels, right? You learn there's like closers and then there's like account managers, but then you also learn that there's people who are maybe more of the early sales people versus the people who are just really great at coming into a system and there's a sales playbook and there's you know enablement material and they're great at like you give them a territory and they will work their tail off to go sell into every single account in that territory but that's not going to work for you at a startup because you don't have that you don't have any of those materials so you need to find somebody who is you know who knows how to who's comfortable in the ambiguity who's comfortable in building things from scratch who can do a demo, who can adapt a demo, who can, you know, um, and so you just learn kind of um, what's important, what's not important, and the types of people that are up for that. I'm guessing so at Intercom, you, you probably hired a lot of analysts. Um, now you're, you're hiring all sorts of positions, you know, sales, we talked about, you said you just hired a marketer. Um, do you do this process where you kind of reverse engineering for every role or like have you are there generalizable principles that you've learned about hiring just generally across the board um you know that you kind of use to like judge talent and, and kind of filter in talent yeah um i mean i do run this process pretty much for for any role that i've never hired for before so you know uh sales marketing success we hired somebody for um you know, I was designed with somebody I'd never hired hired for, and so used um, utilized uh, network there to kind of like really understand. And my co-founder, he's hired for design, so um, used him a lot too. Um, I'd say, uh, in terms of principles, I mean, the thing that I like a lot of it is just getting really familiar with you know the types of folks in the in the in in this role and you know what makes people successful but things i always look for are just especially in this kind of uh in the startup world are just uh i tend to find great 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 folks not in like big brand name companies and like you know there's just a certain amount of like if you kind of haven't done it before or like you've kind of like tasted it a little bit but you haven't quite done it um, there's just a certain level of like scrappiness that you bring and like a mm -hmm. desire and a fire to it. That's like, I want to prove myself. Like that was me when I joined intercom and like, you know, um, there's a certain amount of like that, that I kind of look for. Um, and then look, it's just gotta be somebody who's going to move really fast and who's going to be a doer, not a, you know, order giver, like right, right. at our stage, you are doing it all, everything and you're doing it. You know, nothing is beneath you in terms of uh, getting stuff done and um, that you just got to be able to do it. You got to do it fast and you got to fail and you got to keep going and try the next thing.
it's hard to find people with that startup speed and intensity. It is. And so sometimes you have to move on from people uh, quickly as well. Um, and, um, you know, uh, I am uh, very, you know, something Ben and I, my co-founder and I talk a lot about is just, um, you know, we want to have a, we, we think we can do a lot more with a small team, but a small team of like really intense and really um, scrappy and, uh, you know, those types of folks that are just doers. And mm-hmm. um, you, you can, yeah, you often can do more with less people uh, than people imagine. It's so paradoxical, but I, I learned that when I worked at CXL, uh, it was very early in my career and I was definitely in that like scrappy, you know, prove myself. Like, I, I don't know anything, but I want to learn everything kind of phase. And we probably after a year I worked there, I was doing content as well as growth stuff. So content was like 40%, 50% of the job. And my boss, Pep, like noted, he's like, hey, on a small team of like me, you and Chanel, like we're forexing the production of companies with like teams of a dozen people, you know? And it's like, we, we would sit and think like, what are they doing all day? (laughs) And uh, I still don't know the answer necessarily, but it was just, it was remarkable to me to realize that if you really strip down the job and focus on what matters, what has impact and just move as opposed to being, you know, paralyzed by, you know, analysis paralysis or over planning, you can get done way more than you think. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Um, and so, you know, um, it's funny when we set out to build equals, uh, from the get go, um, I won't name names, but, um, we had some very, probably some of the most prominent people in Silicon Valley investors, successful entrepreneurs, um, tell us we were absolutely absolutely out of our mind insane thinking that we could build a spreadsheet in any reasonable amount of time with you know we raised six million dollars to begin with six and a half million dollars and you know they're like no chance with a team of seven eight nine ten people you will get anywhere near close to what excel and google sheets have done do you know how many thousands of engineers google sheets has you know how many thousands of engineers uh, Microsoft have working on those products and, um, you know, uh, credit to my co-founder Ben, uh, more than me. Cause I'm, I'm not technical and I don't really, but you know, he rejected that entirely. It's like, no, with a really small team of brilliant engineers, you can do a insane amount. Um, and every, every single one of those people, uh, since, uh, that we've caught up with have been totally shocked totally blown away at the progress we've made. And, you know, when we launched the product, we were 15 months in and, you know, we had, you know, we're not fully feature parity with Google Sheets yet, but we're almost there. And um, in some ways we're faster than Google Sheets uh, already. And um, you can just do an insane, insane amount with a really small team. It's possible. I love that. So we're already on the we're we're on some contrary takes already. So I want to ask this question. Uh, it's like the famous you know Peter Thiel contrarian question. Uh, what's something that you believe about business that most people would disagree with you about? Um, I don't know if well I'll say what's coming to mind for me, and I don't know I don't know what other people think, and um, 
the 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 thing that's the thing that's just been most true for me and my experience in all of business starting equals at intercom um the 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 true answers to like where you should go and the direction you should go in and what you should build and um i i think often are kind of they're like inside of you as opposed to uh in like all this data or like in all these like external kind of signals from the world and so oftentimes a lot of the things you know um what i try to do is just stay really close to um how i feel what i think about the world what is true for me what do i believe equals should be um and less try to um come at the world from a from a perspective of like uh, what is what is everybody wanting what do i think everybody wants what do i and so um it's i think you can build some really magical things in the world whether it's a business whether it's a creative endeavor whether it's you know uh um you know a social impact thing a, a um uh um whatever it is that you're trying to build if you start with what's true for you and you approach it from a kind of what do i want to exist in the world as opposed to what do i think other people want to want to exist in the world and um you just the 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 thing that magically happens from that is you know you get more energy from it you kind of you do your best work when you do your best work other people around you do the best work they get inspired by you um and so um just staying really aligned to kind of um what you believe and what is true for you and you know that that kind of intrinsic motivation as opposed to what everybody else tells you to do or what everybody else thinks you should do or what the latest yc advice is or what the latest you know what the sure like feedback from customer feedback from users and customers is very valuable and you should take it run with it but also you know trust yourself and your intuition and your knowledge and you know uh follow that uh, follow that really deeply um you can do magical magical things if you do that that is such a great answer. Thank you. <laughs> it it reminded me of um I don't know where I heard it, but it was something about, you know, most advice seeking is not about information, it's about permission or validation. Right. So it's like I feel like so many times in my life like I I I know what I want. I know what I want to do, but then it's just like you stew on it and you try to get like permission through like data or like other people's like takes. And it's like well, why why don't I just go do the thing that I want to do? Yeah. Yeah. And, and people, you know, you also aren't going to do the thing that if you're doing something because somebody else, you think somebody else wants you to do that, or you're trying to do it for some, for, for somebody else, or you're trying to, you know, uh, be something that you're not, people see through that. And you're also not going to do it as well as you would otherwise do it if it's just the thing that you're doing. And I'm not saying it's always going to work out if you do do it that way but you do it enough times and it will work out 
I, that I that I guarantee I'm like I'm certain of. Hundred percent. Well, I think that is a phenomenal and inspirational way to end. Um, but I do want to open it up and ask if there's anything that you think we should have talked about, or anything else I should have asked you. Any anything else that you want to you want to bring up? Um. Well, so I, I, maybe the last thing I'd say is just um, it's been a really fun journey over the last month and a half. We went from, like I said, we hired a salesperson at Equals to we kind of grew most of the business through a sales-led motion. We had people signing up and selling the product. And about a month and a half ago, we opened the product up to the world. We made it free. We actually don't do sales anymore. Um, and um, it's just been a really fun uh, transformation, fun journey. Um, and um you know, it's, if it, it comes back to like, what was that kind of alignment that I was just talking about? It's, it was, where do we see equals in, in the long, long, long run, right? We see an opportunity to be the next generation spreadsheet, the next Excel, the next rule sheets. If we want to be one of those tools, we need to be used by millions and millions of people. And to do that, we need to open it up to the world and have as broad a big and broad a distribution as possible and it might take us some time it might mean we grow slower in the beginning at least from a revenue perspective it might mean we you know um we have to relearn a lot of the ways in which we sell and onboard folks um but um and in a lot of ways that decision was scary and hard to make um but you know, if you're not nervous, you're, if you're nervous, you're doing it right. And it felt like the right thing to do. And, um, you know, it's, it's the biggest swing that we can possibly think of. Um, so let's go for that. Bingo. And you've got your eye on the long game, which is what matters. Um, that's awesome. So where, where can people find you online? Um, well, definitely check out equals equals.app. Um, and then you can find me on Twitter, Bobby Panero. Um, at Bobby Panero and then on LinkedIn, Bobby Panero. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. For sure. Thanks, Alex. Really appreciate it.